What is up, Zinger Nation? Happy Monday. And it, it'd be a little bit of a happier Monday had the Lions uh, pulled it out and won last night. But we'll discuss that. We've got a huge week when it comes to earnings. All your mega cap uh, or most of your mega cap tech stocks set to report this week. I'm talking Microsoft, Google, uh, Apple, Amazon, Meta. You name it, they're reporting this week. So uh, chances are your portfolio is going to depend on a lot of these earnings this week. We are going to discuss that. Uh, we have SoFi reporting this morning. Lots of news to get through, so let's go ahead and get the show started. I'll bring my man on, Dennis, when we come back. Joel is going to be out today and for the next couple of days, so you're stuck with Dennis and I, but we'll keep uh, good care of you. We got our man Joe Saluzzi from Themis Trading coming on at 835 Eastern, so make sure to stay tuned for Joe. Without further ado, let's roll that intro, and when we come back, I'll bring Dennis on, and we'll get to our first topics of the day. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joe Alconin. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, Dennis. Let's get to uh, let's get the sad news out of the way yep. first. Of course, uh, if you guys didn't tune in to the NFC Championship game last night, everything looked too good to be true. Perfect for Detroit and the Lions. The first half, they take a seventeen point lead, go in, uh, go into the halftime up twenty four seven, and I don't think scored again after that and let up twenty seven points. Uh, well, actually, yeah, no, they, the they, they, they the did. Oh, they did. Yeah, they, they did get the touchdown at the end. But. To make it a three-point game, but didn't end up yeah. mattering. Let up 27 unanswered points. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I was at a, at a bar watching with friends here in Detroit, and you could just feel, like, the energy was so high. Was Everyone so was high. on cloud nine. And then, yeah. you know, before even the game, before even when, like, uh, the Lions still had, like, a 10-point lead, you could kind of feel the people at the bar were, like, starting to be like, oh, no, is this is this you really happening? Is this happening again? It. And yeah, I mean, all the momentum just, just, just completely. We just couldn't get it back. We couldn't get the momentum back. Yes, there was some questionable calls by the coach, and the coach is going to be questioned hard in the D this morning. Obviously, not taking the points when you got them. But let's be honest, Dan Campbell got him there by taking chances, and he's a chance taker. He's four and two. He's going for it. He's four and three. He's going for it. It's what he's done all year. So those kind of you know calls got them to where they were those kind of calls though actually cost them in this game so i mean it's yeah it's, and again bad luck to ab i mean you throw in the ball we almost get the interception it bounces off of his face goes right to san francisco receiver and he goes you know basically and that's a touchdown basically right there and then the fumble i mean that's pretty much the game so, I mean, we gave up 14 points right there between the bad luck bouncing off the head and going right to the receiver and the fumble. That's 14 points. That's the game. 
Yeah, not to mention too the the going for it on fourth down when the the, the receiver Reynolds had a chance to make the catch and and dropped it, which would have converted the first down, which then could lead to more points or at least hold off the 49ers from scoring again. So all these different plays, you know, that you can go back and look at yeah. as game changers. You know, the one pl- the one call from Campbell that will be talked about is not taking the field goal there at the end. I actually don't hate that call to go for it for a number of reasons because first of all, your odds of getting the conversion version on fourth and two is is pretty high you know around 50 percent and you know to kick a 48 or 50 yard field goal there that's not like an automatic it's free not, point it's not right. automatic it's not and automatic you, and if you miss it then you're giving them the the field a better field position from where you kick the field goal so you, you know it's it's I, I don't hate that specific call, and it obviously looks a lot different if they convert it, but a lot of people will talk about that call. But like you mentioned, there were all these other plays in the game. And the drop balls, too. Figures. You know, the chat's talking about it. The receivers could not make a catch in the second half. I mean, the touchdown at the end was a good catch, but multiple times, you know, the, a couple of these balls are in the bread basket, and the receivers just, you know, are dropping the balls. So there was three separate plays on the four and two. That one was a tougher catch, but it should have been caught, really. Like, the throw was a little bit low, but it should have been caught. And, you know, that was a momentum killer right there. And and there was multiple other times, too. I, I counted three drop balls on, you know, that should have been caught. So, it's not on Goff. Like, he had a good game. Like, Goff played pretty well. Yeah. Just receivers were not catching the balls, and we had some bad luck, man. And you got to give credit to the other team, too. I mean, Purdy and the 49ers played well in the second half. And I mean, to come They're out. opportunistic. Yeah, to come out like that. I mean, they, they could have easily just rolled over and said, oh, we lost this game after the first half. But uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, kind of similar to trading. I had some bets last night that were looking amazing, and I could have cashed them out for like a big profit. And instead, I didn't and let them ride and uh, ended up. Did you bet them. on the Lions? I did. So I took the Lions oh. money line before the game and had a few different parlays. I actually had one with the Lions to win and Jamison Williams to score a touchdown, which that line was like pretty hefty because he's only scored, you know, four or five times all year. So I was set to make a little pretty penny last night. Uh, it's not as bad financially. I know some people, Dennis, uh, who actually bought Super Bowl tickets at halftime. Um, oh really yeah they so thousands jumping, and thousands jumping. of dollars you know i mean at least they'll be able to resell them they'll be able to sell those. but the real winners in that in that uh is is Ticketmaster and StubHub, who are going to get the fees from the first time they bought the uh the, the tickets then once they resell them going to get the they're going to get double fees on these tickets probably thousands of dollars worth of fees so uh you know i mean either way was I, i'm not upset about my bets as i am just about for the team and for the city because it was yeah. it, it's almost worse having that lead and and giving it away versus just like losing the game outright. It, it, well, it is. If we would have got blown out, we've been like, wow, we weren't going to win that game anyways, and it was a great season. But because we had such a lead at the half, because we were all counting our way to the Super Bowl, I mean, it was an awesome. At the half, you know, who would have thought the Lions could be up twenty four to seven at the half? I mean, that's unbelievable. But you know, like you said, we had some bad luck coupled with you know the receivers not catching and we were we just already talked about it so let's forget about it it's yep. a new day it was a good season for the lions they're a good young team it's disappointing ending but it's hard to just go from the bottom to the top in one season so maybe next year you know we start and you know obviously you know get there again and maybe a different result so great season lions good for the good for detroit let's talk stocks 
Let's get into the stocks. All right. So first up this morning, you do have SoFi Technologies uh, reporting. Uh, Dennis, and I know, are, are you in this stock or you said you're trading yeah, a little bit? Yeah, I've got a position in it, um, which is a little bit on me because I put a position on ahead of the report to, to be long because, you know, I like being stocks long ahead of the report. And for some reason, I thought it reported tonight. <laughs> So sometimes you get lucky. <laughs> Some oh, reason okay. I, I like I, my calendar. I just I and I, I have it written down even on my sheet pre market, but I had in my head that it was reporting, so I was going to actually sell. I figured maybe it runs up a little bit ahead of the report, which it really didn't. So, anyways, I'm getting lucky here. So I probably am going to get out of this trade here today because this was on just for a trade. It wasn't on for a long term investment. So um, I'll somewhat limit my comments here, but I'm getting lucky because the stocks pop it on the report. Yeah, and let me pull up those numbers real quick. Uh, I just got to wait for our Benzinga Pro to refresh real quick here. Um, but SoFi, I mean, let's talk about the the story real quick. Uh, it, this is one of those ones that if you look at it from the, the highs in 2021, I mean, took off with all these different other growth stocks and hasn't really seen if we pull up the chart here. Uh, hasn't really gotten back. Let's, I'm on the 30 minute here. Let's go to the dailies has not even gotten back close to these highs of more than $20. And I know uh, a lot of people that have been kind of buying it down here under $10 expecting for it to come back. Um, and it hasn't really, but a good report this morning is sending the stock high. You're seeing it trading up, uh, more than 12% here. Are those numbers. Now we've got, uh, EPS slight miss. It looks like, but revenue beats by 22 million. Um, I, I assume the company offered some good. Okay. So 40% growth in members and in, in products revenue up across all sectors. So that's the thing with these growth stocks, Dennis is, is you need to see the growth, right? If you're a growth stock, like a social yes. media company, Snapchat, yes. et cetera, and you're not growing users, then the market's not going to, you know, going to treat you like a growth stock. But once you can show that growth, you know, it might not matter if you're burning a lot of money or all these other things, as long as you can sell the market on the fact that, hey, look, our user Story. base is growing. Exactly. I mean, and we talked about this with Amazon last week, that Amazon always traded <clears throat> at this super high uh, uh, valuation, but was always growing users. And you always had the growth to kind of justify that valuation. So uh, uh, SoFi also gave some guidance that tops consensus estimates. So you're seeing a good stock on this pop, uh, or a good pop on the stock here today after the earnings. And I know you're kind of limited in what you're able to talk about it because you yeah. are in this stock, but when you see a movement like this, like if you were already in it, would this be something more that you would lean toward, like adding to your winners or selling the rip? Again, so and just you know when when I when I'm when I limit my conversations when I intend to trade the stock today, so I'm intending to trade out of this. So that's why I try to limit my conversation. So I'm just gonna just not say much about so far. Got today. it. All right. It's cool. in my long term portfolio. You know, have at it. If I'm planning on holding it for the next year, I'll let you know. I'm buying some of my long term portfolio. I'll let you know. But you know, I actually the reason I bought this was to own it ahead of the report. I bought it like three days ago ahead of the report for a trade. And I just screwed up. You know, you're doing a lot of things. And I honestly thought it was reporting tonight. But I looked this weekend. So I actually saw it. I was like, I was on my sheet. I had it written down right. I just, for whatever reason, forgot about it. And thought that for, it reported tonight. It's probably, I was thinking SMCI because my other stock reports tonight, SMCI. So my bad. Got lucky here. You know, I'm basically just lucky because you can get beat up pretty good on those when you hold something through a report that you didn't intend to hold through the report. So I'm getting lucky on this one. And you know what? That's a conversation in itself. 
Like sometimes you get lucky and it's not really trading skills. It's just, you know, like you didn't intend to do that, but you make money on it. You know, that luck goes back and forth, you know, so throw that into like the little piggy bank because because I make a little bit of money on this one. This was luck. This wasn't skill. Because I did not intend to hold this through the report. Well, look, sometimes, you know, it's better to be lucky than good. And it's, and then the stock market is no different. I've had a few trades like that, Dennis, where, you know, you you get something wrong, but it, you end up being right in the long term. So yeah. um, we'll give levels, though. I can give a level. You know, yeah, here, let me pull up here. the chart. On like the, $9 with uh, the gap down where you got the gap and you get into the gap fill area. So that's a natural point of resistance, I would think. To the chat's point, this is a retail loved stock. So it can get some love. It can, it can get some going here. I do intend to, to get out of my position and sell here today, though. Got it. All right. Well, we'll, we'll keep watching SoFi this morning and see how it's trading after this report. Again, strong report from SoFi, which has been struggling the past couple of years. Uh, other top news today. Um, looking at defense stocks, Lockheed Martin, RTX. Over the weekend, we had some more escalation in the Middle East. Uh, a an explosive drone strike in Jordan that took the lives of three U.S. service members and injured uh, yeah. dozens more, uh, including a lot of, of the people being treated right now for traumatic brain injuries. So a, a pretty serious strike, the biggest uh, casualty event of, of U.S. soldiers from another force in, in like the past decade. So, um, you know, you're seeing some of the uh, defense stocks trading up this morning. Um, and, and some some volatility in the oil space as well. But either way, I mean, this is a sign that we might see more and more escalations in the Middle East. Biden and his team have already said there is going to be a response. Uh, Iran said it was not them. It was it was basically one of these kind of militia rebel groups. So not the government themselves of Iran or any of the Middle Eastern countries, but one of these kind of rebellion groups that's that's working on its own. So, again, tragic news, sad news. Um, and you know, we'll probably see some more escalation in the Middle East. It'll probably get worse before it gets better in the short Which term. Which is probably, you know, if you want the trade, it's probably good for oil. And oil to me, you know, has quietly bottomed. Everybody hated oil three weeks ago. It's breaking down, making new lows. You know, just as much as they loved it at 90, all the momentum traders and said it was going to 100. When it got down, you know, and looking, you know, like it's obviously pulled back significantly here. But we're on the comeback trail. It looks to me like oil has bottomed. The oil stocks not participating nearly as much. I guess they are. ExxonMobil's come back the last three or four days. Occidental Petroleum's is quietly still in the Buffett buy zone area. So I think there's a point here where if you really believe in, you know, there's going to be escalation in the Middle East, owning these oil stocks and these defense stocks is maybe not a bad call. The value is here to AB. I mean, some of these stocks are trading up pretty low multiples. RTX has its own problems. We know we've talked about those in the past. But, you know, you've obviously got Lockheed Martin got beat up on its earnings report. Maybe it can stabilize. NOC, General Dynamics, they're all beat up. General Dynamics actually went in the opposite direction. But what about just oil here? I mean, I'll get your thoughts here too. I feel like some of these oil stocks are trading with P's of like 8, 9, 10. Again, they're cyclical. Again, you know, those earnings aren't always as stable as, you know, some of these other companies are. But, you know, a Chevron's got the buyback in place. It's got the huge support at 140, up here at 149. I, you know what? And, and, and EVs, you know, are coming eventually here, but they're not coming anytime soon. We're not all going and turning over and buying, you know, expensive electric vehicles here anytime soon, especially with the big three 
backing off on EV investments here. It's telling me that the gas guzzling cars are still here for quite a while. So you know what? Oil stocks, I kind of like them here. Yeah, I mean, nothing in the market is usually binary or black and white. But for these oil stocks, I almost kind of feel like it is. And it's basically comes down to, do you think there's going to be a global slowdown in the economy? Do you think there's Mm -hmm. going to be a global recession? If you think yes, then maybe not, because demand will continue to fall for these oil names. I mean, on the flip side, you could say, oh, well, in a a recession, you know, these value stocks are going to hold up better than you know your growth in tech stocks, which may be true, but typically in times of recession, uh, you can look back at the at the USO chart and see what it does, and it's usually not great. On the flip side, if you think no, I think the the economy, the U.S. economy is going to be fine, and the global economy is going to be fine, then I wouldn't. I, I would want to be long these stocks because, like you said, the valuations are good as long yeah. as the demand stays there for oil. Uh, then there's no reason why Chevron, Exxon couldn't won't report good earnings and won't make a lot of money. I mean, we just had this ruling last week uh, from the Biden administration that's going to stop new exports of LNG. And so I think you're seeing a lot of, of, you know, kind of this transitional or clean energy stuff be, you know, maybe show signs of promise, but not really viable right now to meet the energy demand of the world. So, what do you have left? You've got oil. And so again, if the economy is going to stay strong, if the global economy is going to stay strong, then I think all these oil stocks will benefit from that. And I think probably the market has priced in at least some sort of downturns. Then if you don't get that downturn, downturn, but it's already priced in, then that could be a bullish catalyst for these stocks. So, um, you know, again, get the momentum going again. The value is there. The story is bad, and that's what keeps a lot of people out of oil because you've got the Kathy Woods out there saying nobody's going to be buying gas-guzzling cars five years from now. And that might be the case, but it isn't this year, and it's not next year. And we've talked about the the consumer not having the money for the big-ticket stuff, and you can see it in the EV makers. I mean, that's another trade in itself. I mean, they continue to struggle. Like, look at Lucent Motors, $2.65, $2.74 here today. I mean, Saudi's behind that. That looks like it's going out of business. Fisker looks like it's going out of business. I mean, the trade in the EVs, all my, you know, those lithium stocks I had are terrible as well. I mean, anything EV has really been terrible. Tesla's the only one that's held up. And now Tesla's, you know, showing weakness too after their last report. The wild card with Tesla is the humanoid aspect. You know, you obviously have them working on that. That is going to be a revenue source for them eventually. So that's the wild card there. But you got to say, like, I kind of said I liked Rivian, but that looks like, you know, not good either. It's been leaking since I was talking about it. I think it was 17, and it's continued to leak down here too. I mean, the EV trade is ugly. And if the EV trade is ugly, eventually you got to almost think, like, maybe it's good for your traditional auto. Like, and, and I'm not saying buying foreign GM, but all those oil stocks are trading at P's of 8 and 9 because we're not going to be using, you know, as much oil five years from now. I, I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, I mean these these you almost kind of feel for these like EV companies like Fisker and Rivian because they had their whole business model basically established in a zero interest rate policy and then those interest rates get jacked up and like you almost wonder like would Tesla be in the same situation had they been, you know, 5 years later, 10 years later in in this kind of same boat but because they kind of they got that growth earlier, now they're established, now they can kind of withstand 
the uh, the interest rate hikes a little bit more. But I mean, I still for Rivian, like I, I think if for me, like I, I still kind of want to buy a few shares just to hold long term, knowing, OK, this might, you know, be going to zero or might get bought. Yeah, out or something, speculative. But like, a speculative bet, because I think if it does work out in the long term that Rivian's product is actually like, I mean, I mean, I see Rivian trucks on the road here in Detroit and I see, I think they look pretty cool. I know they how much, awesome. I know how much Americans love pickup trucks. So as long as you're able to like make a good one. And uh, I don't think people really care that much if it's electric or gas powered, as long as it has all the same capabilities, you can still tow the same amount um, and you can do all these other things with it. So I don't hate necessarily Rivian as like a speculative pick here, but you got to realize just, Hey, these things aren't in favor. Um, going back to Tesla real quick, because you mentioned yeah. the humanoid. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my thing with that, Dennis, would just be with this company's track record of of timelines and missing timeline. I don't even know oh, yeah. when they say that the humanoid's going to be out, but say they say, oh, it's going to be on the market next year in 2025. That probably means something more like 2028 for Tesla and Elon yeah. Musk. Given and it, and the rumors record. and the talk, they've never, I don't know if they've actually given a timeline, but it's 2027 is what I've heard, you know, to try to actually start putting these into production and start to like actually get revenue from the humanoid. So that's three years. That's a long time to wait. The story is cool. I mean, again, if they're not the only ones doing this, Boston, the stuff going on at Boston Dynamics is incredible as well. So, I mean, you know, they got Tesla and Boston Dynamics, I believe, leading the charge. Here are another company, smaller ones too. The one thing Tesla's got is just a pile of money. So they can keep throwing a lot of money at this. And I do think this humanoid aspect is a reason I would want to eventually own the stock. The problem is, at the current valuation and the earnings not growing and like at least, you know, not growing like they were, it's hard to get behind Tesla. And you know, what is the PE right now? Let's go to our trusty Benzinga Pro and look it up. I think it's like 60 times. Overview, earnings. It might be more than that. Yep. 60 forward PE of about 55 and a half. So yeah. So you're, you're buying, you're paying twice as much for Tesla as you are for Nvidia on a forward multiple. I mean, that's a tough sell. If this thing, you know, got back down to 140, and not saying it's going there, I'm not saying that at all, then it starts to get more attractive. You get Tesla under a PE of 40, then you start thinking, well, I'm getting the humanoids. EVs aren't going away. They're still the leader there. Or they, you know, they found a way. I mean, you know, that gets more attractive. But you're paying 55 times forward earnings. Um, I, I just think, and again, I'm in this year where I've got the bias already. That big ticket stuff is not going to get bought as much. And, Tesla is a big ticket item. So I'm not a big fan of owning automakers right now. So I want to own humanoids. But three, four years out here, AB, to your point, is a long time. Maybe I want to own hum maybe I want to own Tesla like a year from now. So I know it's a long time to wait. But does the story get hot? Do they start talking about it more? Does that carry it? You know, like Chris Camilo over at Dumb Money is like all in. He's all in on Tesla saying the humanoids are going to change the world and this is going to be the most valuable company in the world. And maybe that's the case. I, I respect Chris very much. He's been on our show multiple times. You know, he's smart. So, you know, and, and I was, you know, I, I, I'm 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 with them on the story aspect of it, but their core business right now is not doing that well. So until we get closer to this, you know, humanoid production, it's hard to just say, yeah, let's go buy Tesla here today because you know, this is, you know, humanoids are gonna change the world here. They're not changing the world tomorrow, though. I don't want to be too early here. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the biggest things is you can be exactly right. Right. Chris, 
uh, Camillo can be exactly right in his, you know, call on the humanoids, but be early. And I mean, being early is in trading or investing a lot of times the same thing as being wrong. I mean, my favorite, my favorite example of that is when people talk about, oh, if you would have bought an Apple in, in 1985, you would have sold it 10 years later for an 80% loss, right? Because most people aren't going to withstand that 80% downturn like you would have if had you bought Apple in 1985. And 96% down in Amazon. Right. Amazon went down 96%. That's tough to hold. You know, that, that's tough and- to hold through that. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about it too with Kathy Wood. I mean, Kathy Wood was probably like one of the the first prominent people in investing talking about the AI trade and talking about how transformative AI was going to be. And yet her, you know, calls on it and trades on it haven't really worked out that well for her. So, uh, you know, again, like it's, it's, you can have this uh, story of the humanoids of Tesla and it all work out perfectly. But if you buy the stock today and it goes down another 50% before then, then, you know, as good as your story and predictions were, then the trades sometimes don't match up. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I, I'd want to wait and get more clarity on this. I mean, I do got to give Tesla credit. I never I didn't I didn't think the Cybertruck was even coming this year. So at least they did deliver on that. But again, probably what, two years after it was like. first. It's initially. the timelines. He eventually delivers. But right. it's the timelines. It's, it's the timelines. And, and and don't forget, he's fighting with the Tesla board right now. He wants more ownership of the company. There's other issues going on here, too. So lots of things to think about. I don't think Tesla's just turning around and, you know, may, maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the humanoid, you know, is going to, you know, you know obviously, you know, the story's going to get hotter sooner. But, you know, if people start talking about it sooner, I think you're going to still get a chance. And again, I don't want to be early. Um, Brian Shannon talks about it all the time, not buying stocks and downtrends. I mean, this stock is in a clear downtrend here right now. This stock is massively underperformed. I mean, Kramer's throwing it out of the Magnificent Seven. So there's a lot of issues here with Tesla. I don't think I need to be a hero here. I think I'm going to still get a chance to get in. I don't think it's taken off without me. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the thing, like we said with the timeline, it's almost like they've missed so many timelines and stuff that the market doesn't even like punish Tesla anymore for it, right? If, if, uh, if you're the CEO of a lot of other companies, right? If Ford CEO says, hey, we're going to put this car out by this date and then they don't, I feel like the market punishes it. Whereas when that happens now with Tesla, the market's just like, oh yeah, well, that was expected. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, almost like they've done it now so many times that it's just kind of baked in and priced in. So, um, all right, well, moving on from Tesla, we did mention that this week will be uh Probably the biggest make or break week so far in the market this year. I mean, you this have, is the week. You have this every, is the earnings week. You have every major tech company reporting that hasn't yep. already reported pretty much. Yep. Uh, maybe outside of in, NVIDIA, which usually reports later. But you have Apple uh, set to report. And let me get the exact days up so I don't mess up. Okay, so let's go in order here. So you got an earnings calendar? Benzinger will have an earnings calendar. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got, yeah, I'll show the, I'll show the earnings calendar. Let's yeah, bring up the earnings calendar and we idea. can talk about it. But my whole portfolio, like I said, is under attack this week. I basically have half my portfolio reporting and maybe that's everybody's portfolio. But there's your earnings calendar here. I mean, so far we've already talked about this morning, but tonight, SMCI, which I'm intending to hold through the report. I mean, that's run so far, you know, but again, they already raised guidance. So we kind of know the report here. So hopefully it can hold up. Nucor uh, reporting tonight, which is a Kramer darling. Um, that's pretty much the bulk of like what of the excitement, you know, Whirlpool, FFIV, there's a few there. But, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow is when we really get started. Microsoft, Google, 
AMD, Starbucks is reporting, Wednesday's Qualcomm, MasterCard, Boeing will be interesting to hear what they have to say. Thursday, holy mackerel, Katie bar the door on Thursday, Apple, Amazon, Meta reporting, we even got Merck over there, Honeywell, I mean the names reporting here, RCL, Microchip, so many companies reporting, Microchip's already warned I believe. Um, and then Friday, we get the oil giants, Exxon, Mobil, and Chevron. What a week. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be market moving because these uh, companies are obviously weighed so heavily in the S&P. I mean, I'm excited, really, obviously, to see Microsoft tomorrow night. That's going to be your big um, first big gun, like reporting. Like Again, we've heard from Netflix and Tesla, but this isn't, you know, the $3 trillion mammoth of Microsoft. What do they have to say? Yeah, and we've talked about this when it comes to earnings, but it's it's to me a lot of times less about the actual numbers themselves and more about a the expectations going in, uh, and then the reaction because it's not going to be good enough. I don't think for Microsoft to just report good numbers in line with expectations. The, uh, the expectation now from the street has been for Microsoft because of you know its its holdings in open AI and what it's doing with, with the AI things in Microsoft office and it's cloud growth. I mean, people are expecting like huge things from Microsoft. So even the slightest miss, I mean, the numbers Microsoft could report in terms of like billions of dollars in revenue and still growth. But if they don't hit it out of the park, I could see Microsoft trading down, which could scare off, uh, you know, kind of investors from the rest of the tech. So I'd be kind of wary of Microsoft going into this just because, again, the, the bar is set so high. I mean, do you think there's a chance, Dennis, the bar is set too high? Expectations are very high for all of these companies. Like everyone that's reporting here, you know, even starting with SMCI tonight because they raised guidance, but we kind of know that report because they kind of already did the preliminary numbers. But Microsoft's bar is high. AMD's bar is high. Google Bar will probably be high, maybe not as high as Microsoft. Apple Bar, it's come back right a bit. Amazon's trading near 52-week highs. Meta just continues to run. It's basically going off, you know, not even far from all-time highs anymore. It's, Meta is an all-time high. Holy cow, I did not realize Meta. That What a comeback story for Zuck. I mean, the stock Meta was trading at $384 in 2021, went down under $100 to 88 bucks. And a year and a half later, gets it all back. You just can't bet against these mammoth companies there. And, you know, if you were in 2022 in October and just saying, look, it's gotten, you know, to a point where even if this recession happens, it may not be that bad. I mean, if you were just loading up at the end of 2022 in tech, you just killed in 2023 and you're continuing to kill it in 2024. Wow. I guess just buying tech on dips, it just works. Well, yeah, and with 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 Meta, you know, we and we mentioned I mentioned this with SoFi that like if you're a growth stock, you have to show that you're growing. Uh, and when Meta's big downturn started, is when they they stopped adding you. I mean, like they didn't add any users on a quarter over quarter basis for its first time ever as a company. Like not like net, you know, they they added some Instagram users, but like no new Facebook users, all this stuff. And then the stock started getting hammered. I mean, you had a, you had slowing growth on top of rising interest rates, overall tech becoming out of favor. So the stock dropped like 60, 70%, like you mentioned, from 385 down to below $100 at one point. But then 
once it gets down the here, PE was under 12 or something. I know. Once it gets down here and you're looking at how much money growth aside, whether they're adding new users or not, how much money it's bringing in each quarter from ad revenue, yeah. from all these different things. Then you're like, wait a second, growth or no growth. This thing has value. And this thing is yeah. like a value stock down here. Yeah. So, the, so the story changed from, okay, this is like your growthy or your growth techie stock, you, you know, to, hey, this is a value stock. And then once people started buying the stock, then growth came back for it. So now you have this kind of double whammy and now it's back up to, you know, like you said, new all-time highs, nearly $400 a share. And yeah. then a lot of this too has been driven by the AI story. So, I mean, it just goes to show you that like, it might feel like it on the way down that, okay, this company, I mean, so many people are writing the obituary for Facebook and for meta on the way down and basically saying this company is dead. This is dead. Uh, and That's then what it they shows, do. That's what media does. Yeah. You I mean, know, they sell Barron's. It's Barons transitory. Barron's was the classic, you know, back when Facebook came out and, you know, it went down to, you know, $21 and they put that price target with the thumbs down on the Facebook like this and they put the price target of 15 bucks on it. That was the absolute bottom, the Barron's low, and stock's $394 here now. So, I mean, this is what media does. It sells, it gets super bearish at the bottoms, super bullish at the tops. And, you know, sometimes it's those crowded trades, you know, that's where you've got to say, hey, you know, sometimes from a valuation perspective, things have run too far, and you got to ring the register, or sometimes from a valuation perspective, things have gotten too cheap, and you just got to buy. But, you know, really long-term investing at the core is still like buying good companies at reasonable valuations. That's the core. You know, Tesla at 55 times earnings just doesn't feel reasonable to me. It's a great company though. So, I mean, that's what I think you've got to do is, you know, when you get these inevitable pullbacks, which we do get, you know, feel out, you know, look at your forward multiples. Don't get trapped by current multiples. You got to look at where projections are going, where we're going to, not where we're coming from. Think about Wayne Gretzky, you know, when he played hockey all those years. He wasn't going to where the puck was at. He's going to where the puck is going. So always think about, you know, where these companies are going. So that's why I say looking at trailing earnings is just a terrible thing to look at. That's what media does. You know, well, AMD's trading 1,400 times earnings, you know, because they made one cent last quarter and they extrapolate that out. It's ridiculous, you know, like, yeah, that's a fact. It's correct, but that's not really where the company is being valued here right now because we know their earnings are going up. You know, the PE, current PE is 1,600 times, not even 1,400, it's 1,600 times, but the forward PE is 46. So, I mean, that's where we're going here. We know, you know, they're growing those earnings and we know the last quarter was, a, you know, obviously weak and that's why those numbers look like that. So, when you're looking at it from a valuation perspective, don't get caught up on trailing earnings. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whoever in the chat was saying, Chris was saying, sounds like you're talking about Tesla. I mean, maybe that, you know, Tesla gets down to a point where like Meta, you're looking at it and saying, hey, this is a value stock, but you can't make that argument yet. And I think we're a ways away from there. Um, Dennis, we've got our guests hanging out backstage. But before we get there, just because yeah, you, yeah. you mentioned uh, the great one, Mr. Gretzky, I, I got to take this opportunity to fair, to share my favorite Gretzky stat. You might know what I, you know, you're a big hockey guy, so you might I'm know. A big Oilers stat. fan too. So yeah, you might, you know, the stat I'm going to go. I might. There's a lot of Gretzky stats. There's a lot of great Gretzky stats, but this one, I think, is, records. I think is up there with, uh, you know, probably the most crazy sports stats of all time. But if you took away every single goal that Wayne Gretzky ever scored in the NHL, he would still be the all-time points leaders, which means he has more he has more assists than the next person has goals plus assists. So in hockey, you get yeah. a point 
for either scoring a goal or for assisting a goal. Gretzky has more assists than the next person has goals and assists. Just an absolutely insane uh, stat. Uh, not to mention nobody the- dominated this sport more than Gretzky did back in the eighties. I mean, yeah. you could, well, Michael Jordan, you could argue too. Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, and even Tiger Woods back in his day, there's always been those dominant, but Wayne Gretzky is just an unbelievable player. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the league has 99 retired across the board, like you have Jackie Robinson's number retired in baseball for like the sentimental value and all this, but the fact that his number Jersey number is retired just cause he was that good. Just like, yeah. no, no one's ever going to play with a 99 jersey in the NHL ever again because he was that good. It's just absolutely insane. But all right, yeah. we've got our guests hanging out backstage. My man, Joe Saluzzi from Themis Trading. Without further ado, let's give Joe our special Zinger Nation welcome when we come back. We'll be talking. Uh, we'll see what Joe's been watching. All right, Joe, happy Monday. How you doing? Good morning, gentlemen. Sorry about the game, Dennis. I know, I know, I know. We're trying not to talk. We talked off off the hop, and now I'm going to try to forget about it all day. But it's there in the back of your mind. Yeah, the, the possibilities of the Lions in the Super Bowl. Just yeah. thinking we, about that. We were all yeah. rooting for you here. You know, everybody. I know you guys were. were. Yeah, I know. And and you know what? It was it was a hell of a game. Like I've said, you know, the Lions. You know, I feel like you know we were there. Halftime it was good. San Francisco really didn't win the Lions loss. We just had yeah. so many mistakes yes, there. So, so you know, it is what it is. Yep. It was a good season. I'm trying to, like, you know, look at the silver <laughs> lining here. It's hard, though, the day after you get bumped. It, it's tough. Sports is, is tough. Isn't it? As a Mets fan, I know your pain. <laughs> you, you, do. you do, Joe. <laughs> How's it going? We're doing great. Yeah. yeah things are uh, staying busy, right? Watching the markets and the market structure, as always. Well, let's get before we go to market structure talk, let's just get the feel of your institutional customers here. Like, obviously, you know, you trade for a lot of big companies and, you know, what are they saying out there? I mean, this market has been relentless to the upside, at least from a tech in the tech stocks. Is it still like your customers looking to buy tech? Are they, you know, looking to diversify and buy other things now? What's the institutional customer saying out here? Yeah, you know, we have a mixed bag. Obviously, you know, we're agency traders, so we trade for all different types and we're buying and selling and shorting and, and doing everything throughout. But, you know, it feels like it's been a little quieter at the beginning of the year. It seemed it, we didn't have that volume, you know, the volumes are definitely lighter starting the year. So I, I think maybe people are waiting to see because I think there's a lot of numbers coming out. There's a lot of information, even just this week alone, between earnings from all those big tech companies. We got the Fed, obviously, on Wednesday. You know, and you have been uh, in unemployment on Friday. So that will give them a little bit more, a much better direction, I think. So, but the end of the week, end of the month, I think you're to get a better feel for, for folks and see, hey, will this rally continue or are we set for a pullback, you know, first quarter of the year? And I think a lot of people were anticipating this pullback, uh, which we didn't see, right? So now people are like, oh, wow, what happened to the pullback? I thought we were getting one. So, but I think, again, by the end of the week, you're going to get some more uh, clarity on these things. And I think we'll, we'll go from there. So moving into the market structure conversation, I mean, where do you want to go with this? We've talked for years. I've known Joe for a better part of 14 years here now, and we've been talking market structure for a very long time. It's funny, you know, we've been talking about changing, talking about this, but the market structure, you know, we've had slight changes, but really it's kind of just stays the same. I mean, obviously, you know, we've talked off exchange trading, you know, which has grown here over the years. When me and you started talking back in 2010, it was about 35% of the market. Now it's almost half the market continues to grow. I mean, at what point in time, maybe we just could just start there. At what point in time is the equity market just going too dark? 
one big giant dark pool. We won't know what's going <laughs> That's what on. it feels like sometimes. <laughs> We're heading in that direction. But yeah, you know, people and the reason, you know, there's a number of reasons why we trade in the dark as institutional traders. You know, my number one reason is I'm trying to cloak my clients' intentions. I don't want people knowing that I'm out there, obviously. But even when you're in the dark, that people will spot you, they'll ping you with odd lots, they'll do all sorts of things to to find out where the action is. So it's, you know, I think what happened was the lit exchanges, the you know, the big ones, the major ones, New York, NASDAQ, SIBO, they started, you know, selling things other than their business is not trading. Their business is selling data. So when they do that, they give away intentions. They give away my information as a trader, uh, for instance, on retail trade. Perfect example. If a retail trade, if you want to post a limit order to a an exchange, it's going to post and it's going to have a little indicator on the data feed saying that you're retail. And that means a lot to the to the HFTs of the world and to the prop traders because they know it's not institutional or us. So the market structure has always had these issues that, you know, buried deep inside of them. And, you know, our goal as institutional traders is to make sure we don't get caught up in those those tricks and those those uh, pitfalls that are out there all day long. But to your point, really not much has changed lately. Um, you know, yeah, the China, uh, dark pool volume is still there, almost half. There was market structure rules that were uh, we're proposed last year by the Fed. I'm sorry, by the Fed, but the SEC. And we're yeah. still waiting for approval on that. And there's a big fight going on in that. So I think it's going to be a while before we see anything. So bottom what line. Is, it, yeah. What do you think of Gensler? Like, I mean, you know, I think his intentions are good here. Obviously, you know, we got the big, you know, and, and a lot of, you know, people probably who are very conflicted saying, oh, Gensler's trying to fix problems that the market doesn't have and all that stuff here. But I feel like he's in the right place. Like, I feel like he's looking in the right place. Um, you know, his proposals, you know, uh, some of them I had some issues with. But at the same time, yeah. I think he's trying to do the right thing here. What do you think of Gensler? Yeah, I, I, you know, up until recently, and I'll tell you why in a second, I was a big fan. Recently, yeah. I kind of took a turn the other way. But I, I think his only problem or his problem now, he, he's, he proposed so much. And there's a Maybe. lot out there still pending. And he's running into the machine or the industry, as we call it, the Wall Street machine and crypto machine that are going to fight him in the courts. And, and, you know, the unlimited amount of money, they'll they'll wear out his term. He'll be gone by the time these lawyers are still suing. So I think by doing too much, he actually hurt himself. We should have just focused on certain ones, you know, pick cherry pick the big ones, which is most of all the chairmen do before him. You know, the, the SEC knows they can't do everything. But, you know, Gary had a very ambitious agenda. And, and I think you saw that when he caved on the crypto ETF and, and Gary Gensler alone had the say in approving a crypto ETF because the vote was three to two, right? He could have went the other way and the vote would have went against it. But he, and he, you know, obviously over the years, the crypto industry has kind of hated him for doing this. He was doing the right thing, in my opinion. He did the right thing until the end when he, when he yielded to the industry and he yielded to the political pressure that was coming on him from all sorts of congressmen who get donations from the crypto lobby. Okay, let's be real here. This is what's going on. And the, the saddest part about it are the bag holders, which are the crypto folks, because the, the Wall Street machine, the Black Rocks of the world, they're going to make a ton of money. They're out there laughing, yucking it all up. While the regular folks, how's crypto doing since the ETF came in? Was it down 20%? It was the topping event, really. Come on, man. Yeah. So I was disappointed that Gary caved on that. I thought he should have held the line. He had, yeah, there were some legal issues with some of the court rulings. And the biggest mistake they made was approving a Bitcoin futures ETF. That set precedent for this. But anyway, so back so to your question. I, I, I liked them up until that. <laughs> 
So, so Joe, I mean, you mentioned that you that you think uh, Gary Gensler and the SEC kind of caved to pressure to approve these, but what do you think the actual downside is to these ETFs being approved now that they're out on the market and BlackRock and uh, Grayscale, whoever are offering them, what's the downside to them yeah. being out there? Right. Now, before I answer, I'll tell you, listen, I don't have a problem with crypto in general. I think if you want to trade crypto and you've got a, a Coinbase account or whatever, and you put it on your hard wallet and you do fine. There is absolutely, you can do whatever you want with your money. Nobody wants to change that. But yeah. when you wrap it in an ETF wrapper with the gold seal of approval now of the SEC, you've now in, put an, an enormous amount of risk on because what's going to happen is they're going to be advisors out there telling folks that they need 5% crypto in their portfolio and long-term investors are going to say, I want crypto, especially when it starts to run up again. And I think the problem, which never got solved, is that the surveillance and the underlying crypto markets has never been, you know, there is none, basically, okay? There is no, there's still continued, there's fraud, there's wash trading, there's all sorts of things going on in the underlying. And what the SEC had said for many years was, until we get a cross-market surveillance system, we're not approving you. They didn't get a cross-market surveillance system, and they approved them anyway. So if you put a surveillance system on the underlying, then, then I don't have a problem. But right now, you don't have one. Yeah, that's a stat. You know, we have so many, you know, shady players here that we don't even know in other countries, so much happening. And then it's not just about Bitcoin as well. I mean, it's about so many of these other coins, you know, thousands of them out there, you know, basically, you know, people just, you know, creating something from nothing and then selling it and putting, you know, and taking good money in from it. I mean, I don't know how you stop that, but, you know, that's the bigger issue. I think it's not so much even with Bitcoin. It's just all these little, you know, crappy coins that, you know, a lot of people lost all of their money in and they're still creating these and there's still no surveillance and no regulatory, you know, to, to stop them from just creating something from nothing and then selling it to innocent people. Right. And now you've opened up the door to all sorts of shenanigans like that. But look at this. We've already got proposals for a 2x Bitcoin ETF, a 2x inverse I Bitcoin hate ETF. And I ask, when will the 5x Dogecoin ETF be put into <laughs> a long-term <laughs> portfolio? I mean, it's on its way, right, guys? I mean, come on. So why the leverage ETFs, like I've got a problem with those two, because I mean, you know, we have so many of these and all they are is ways to get around, you know, margin requirements at the brokerage house. That's pretty much why they were created. But I mean, a lot of the way they're structured here is these things both tend to, you know, underperform. So you create the triple long, and the triple short, and you think, yeah, on a day-to-day -day basis, they kind of track pretty well. But once you start investing, and that's the problem is people are investing in these things, there's they, they tend to both lag. And yes. what can end up happening is that both the triple long and the triple short end up going down. I mean, there may be no better example than Lab U and Lab D. If you look at these charts here, I mean, it's supposed to be XBI. One's supposed to be going triple long. One's supposed to be going triple short. But if you bring up the long-term chart of Lab D, the all-time high is $6,000. It's at nine bucks. The all-time high in Lab U is 3000 You know, I'm trying to just grab from the chart. 3700 It's $100. I mean, the long-term investors lost no. most of their money on both sides of these things. But, these things are just destroying money. Right. You said it right there. Long term, You cannot be a long-term investor and trade an inverse ETF. Those are daily trading instruments that one day in and out. Remember the VXX, which was a total disaster, right? Yeah. I'll, give you, I'll go one further. The Bitcoin double and uh, ETF, they don't even hold Bitcoin. If you look into the prospectus, they're not, they don't own any Bitcoin. It's just a play on it, right? So 
let's be real here on what we're doing. And and I think again, this he opened the door up to all sorts of things that are going to be happening now. And you know, this is a stock market. This is you know, well, well, like you guys were talking about before, earnings, meta, how was it prior, trailing forward. That's what we're supposed to be doing here, evaluating companies, looking to help companies raise capital. We're not gambling. If you want to go gamble, go to DraftKings, go to FanDuel and have some fun. This is not what the stock market's for. Yeah. And I mean, just to reiterate that point about the inverse and, and leveraged ETFs is that over time, these things are, are not designed to go up and be, you know, things for your long term portfolio, even from direction or whoever is making them. They say, look, this is for active traders looking for something day in day out not to hold so if you're holding tqqq in your long-term portfolio thinking hey well three times returns better than one times return yeah. then maybe you should uh consider some portfolio yeah. uh reallocation uh joe why do you think i mean going back to the bitcoin etfs why do you think vanguard decided not to offer one uh when all the other kind of big big money managers were, were doing that yeah, I think they were clear in their statement. They said, hey, this is not something that we do here. This is not a product that we have. You know, we don't it's not it didn't fit the goal of long term investors. And I think they have every right to do that. I was kind of surprised at some of the reaction from even some of the media, by the way, some of the, the what I call cheerleading media uh, against Vanguard saying, oh, you know, this is right. A brokerage firm can do whatever they feel like doing and offer any products that they feel like offering. They're not a, they're not a government entity. You can't tell them what, what not to do. If they feel their clients, uh, it's not right for their clients, it's fine. There were plenty of other brokerage firms that uh, that are jumping into this thing. So I, I, found, I found it almost laughable that some folks were going to say, oh, well, I'm going to move my account. I'm like, first of all, you probably don't have an account there. Who are you kidding? Let's be real. Right. I mean, so but it, it's fine. I mean, if it doesn't meet the goal of what your firm does, for instance, I have, you know, our clients are very typical. I've got long term investors. I've got, you know, traditional money managers, pension funds as clients. I wouldn't expect a short term hyper focused trader to come in here and say, hey, I want to do business with you because I probably wouldn't do business with them. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Vanguard, I think, actually has a track record of looking out for retail investors and, you know, offering the lowest expense ratios and all this. And you see all kind of like you said in the media, a lot of times uh, people that are kind of in the doom and gloom, zero hedge side of the world are always like, oh, Vanguard owns this this amount of, of this company and this and that like them like they're like the big bad guy when it's like well yeah but all that money is is from people what, like everyday people like me that have vanguard etfs that are then you know holding a certain percentage of apple etc um well joe moving on from the fed or from the uh, sec let's get to the fed uh getting ready to make a decision here in a couple of weeks what do you think is going to happen with the fed are they going to end up cutting rates like a lot of people have anticipated they will, but not yet. And the way I'm looking at this is I kind of like go back. Let's go to a football analogy, guys. Sorry to bring it up again. But so oh, you, got a, <laughs> you got three timeouts left. When do you want to use those timeouts? Right. If you're winning and you've got a good situation, you're probably not going to use your timeouts. So right now the Fed is winning. They're doing a True. good job. They're doing everything. They don't need to use the timeouts. But guess what? They got them in their pocket. So those rate cuts, those they're going to come, but they're not going to come yet. So March is certainly off the table, in my opinion. I don't even think they need to move by May. You know, it all depends on the data and what we're seeing. And so far, you know, we're seeing a very lukewarm data, which is perfect for the setup. Now, what you get, it was a good article in the journal today about nominal versus real rates. And eventually, hey, these these rates are going to have to come down because inflation is coming down to 2%. So you don't want to leave them up there too long because it's going to be anti-growth at that point. So, yeah, they will cut. And I, and I think we've got the wild card of an election year, which is always fun as we yeah. get towards the back end. Right. And as much as they say they're not political, they're political. 
So I would expect them mid-year to start really starting to rumble, unless we see something you know happen between now and then. It could be geopolitical. It could be anything where they were forced in their hand. But overall, I think the Fed's in a very good position right now, much better than where you know they they took their medicine, right? They they did it quick. They did a Volcker style, not quite as crazy as Paul Volcker did back um, too 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 uh, long ago for you, Aaron. Maybe Dennis, you remember him, but right, those rates went up there really high, and then he had they had a backtrack for a while, right? Because they started cutting too soon. So that what the Fed doesn't want to do is cut too soon. Why cut now? I don't. I don't. The market is holding up great. You know, but I think it, it, what I've been watching and I watch the dollar index. The first thing I do in the morning, as soon as I come in and say, OK, where's the dollar? Mm. And last year, tick for tick, the dollar and the stock market in an inverse relationship it was yeah. incredible. Pull up the chart. Right. This yeah. year, it's just the opposite. The dollar is up two percent. The S&P is up two and a half percent, which is something yeah. doesn't make any sense there to me. So I, I think somebody's getting this wrong, whether it's, you know, the, the market, which, I you know, the S&P, we'll see. But I, I, I think at this point. There's, yeah. no need, there's no rush right now to cut rates. Well, that's a great analogy with the timeouts in football because, like you said, something could pop up. Like, you know, you have a big play in a football game. You could have something, you know, happen geopolitically. You could have something break in, in terms of, of the uh, economy and, and have to call those timeouts. But right now, maybe no need. All right, well, we've been on with Joe Saluzzi again from Themis Trading. Joe, thanks for hopping on with us on a Monday morning. Thanks for brightening our spirits a little bit after the All tough, right. after the tough, <laughs> tough loss last night. It's all nice right, to know some people are with you anyways, even in this we're all supporting time you. of grieving. <laughs> all right, guys. All right, have Joe. a good day. We'll have a great week. Thanks, Joe. All right, that was Joe Saluzzi from Themis Trading. Smart guy, awesome. great guest. He's awesome. Uh, awesome. Shout out, shout out, Joel for uh, for booking that one. Yeah. Um, but all right, guys, we've got about seven minutes left of the show. Let me go ahead and pull my Benzinga Pro back up. See how we're trading. Looks like Spy kind of a little down yeah. the market. SoFi had some good follow through up sixteen percent now. People going out and buying SoFi after the strong report. I, I think we should. Uh, yes, with Sofa, but I think we should talk and preview at least, you know, do a technical on some of the big guns here because yeah, Microsoft's going to report here Tuesday. We should do, do a quick technical. I mean, when stocks are trading at all-time highs, it's hard to do technical analysis because there's no resistance. Sky is the limit. 40701, you're right there at all-time highs. It looks like Microsoft, again, just owning stocks ahead of reports. I've done this for years, folks. It's a way to extract alpha, saying don't hold them through the reports, forget like SoFi, and you get confused. Don't get confused when they report, but you know it happens every once in a while. But I tend to own the major companies before the reports. Why do they go up ahead of the reports? Because people are excited about the reports, because media is talking about them ahead of the reports. You know, multiple reasons why stocks tend to drift higher into reports. And the other thing is, if you're short the stock, you probably don't want to be short it going into the report. So, I mean, that's why stocks tend to drift up into the reports. And then it's, you know, a coin flip, really. You know, do they meet expectations? Don't they meet expectations? Expectations very high here for Microsoft. So, you know, it's going to be, you know, but again, even if Microsoft, let's say they get hit, you know, we've been seeing what we've been seeing this earnings season so far is tech stocks are getting bought on dips. Besides Tesla, it's a different story. It's been out of favor here. But the ones that are, you know, drifting higher here, you know, microchip warrants, they buy the dip. Texas Instruments terrible quarter they bought the dip you know and obviously you know it sold off on friday but you know they were buying the dip originally there oracle's one i talked about i did buy the oracle dip you know i'm up in that thing now up almost 10 points in it actually now so i mean even if microsoft does dip after the report it's kind of feels like the dip's gonna get bought so i just think you know it's hard to break this tech mindset right now maybe if escalations in the middle east happen there's always a wild card you don't know but you know as of right now 
it feels like tech is still in complete control and it's hard to be bearish. Yeah. And I think, you know, you have some definitely, I mean, this week, right. You can kind of differentiate between Microsoft. Okay. More of an AI play Apple kind of an AI play, but not really yet. Amazon, maybe not really yet, but I'm sure Amazon will talk about, uh, you, you know, how it's going to be implementing AI and more of its services. Um, and you also have the, the cloud growth from AI. So if AWS and, and again, same from Microsoft with Azure. So if you have that cloud growth, it could maybe help make up for any other weaknesses in the reports. But um, I mean, like I said, I'm a little tentative with Microsoft just because of those expectations. But at the end of the day, right, they have the strong Microsoft has the strongest story when it comes to AI. So Big even. Story. Even if even if the numbers aren't great, would I be surprised to see people coming in and buying the dip? No, because if Microsoft's down five, ten percent in a day because of its earnings, people, long-term investors are gonna look at that and say, Hey, wait, I can get exposure to the leading company, the leading public company when it comes to AI right now at a five or ten percent discount. Sure, I'll buy that. So yeah. I think that's a good call, Dennis, by you know, even if you do see some negative, you know, negative numbers and a bad reaction that you could see those buyers coming in uh, pretty quickly. And then again, uh, I mean, Apple, look, we, we have this catalyst coming with the Vision Pro. We, we know we have, some yeah. early, we have some early signs that demand is strong for it. What I think kind of a wild card for Apple could be, though, that maybe some analysts are talking about it, but most attention has been on the Vision Pro and, and you know, iPhone sales as always and, and whatnot. But Apple has made strides in producing its own in-house chips, which can really help with its margins moving forward, that if it has computer chips, which it's already had for a while, a couple of years now, but um, you know, apparently some analysts are saying that some of the chips they're making are like super strong and kind of on par with uh, maybe some of the, like the AMDs and videos, maybe doing some slightly different things. Um, but if that story ends up panning out for Apple, that it doesn't have to outsource these chips anymore and has some of those stronger chips mm -hmm. on the market, that it could be a driver for Apple. So I'm kind of curious to see on Apple's report, do they talk about that? Do they talk well, about their... And the one thing to consider with Apple is they are super secretive. Um, right. Apple has always been very secretive. So they're not one to like, if they've got something in the works, they don't start talking about it until they're ready to deliver. You know, where Musk is talking about things four years down the road and going to deliver Apple's the exact opposite. They're going to sit back quietly work on stuff and they don't start talking about something until they're actually ready to deliver. You know, you don't even know, like we, the only reason we know sometimes what's working, we look at the patents filing, you know, we look at different things cause they're not coming out there. I mean, the Apple car has been talked about for, you know, the better part of five or six years and we know they're still working on a car, but you know, they're not ready to deliver it yet. So they don't talk about it. The vision pro is being delivered. I mean, the Vision Pro, and again, if you haven't watched that video, the 10-minute video from Apple on the Vision Pro, it's 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 a game changer. I mean, the technology is incredible. It makes me want to own Apple, but I just don't like the big bulkiness of it, the $3,500 price tag. I mean, I think the second and third versions of this, you get this thing smaller. You know, like I said, if you could just have it like a pair of glasses, you know, if you can get the Vision Pro, let's say three, four versions from now, two, three years from now, to the size of just a pair of glasses where you have this big bulky thing like you're going scuba diving in, you know, and on your head, I think that's going to be a lot more attractive to the majority of people. And, you know, but but you can't argue with the technology. The technology is there. Like, I believe you're going to be in sporting events, you know, where we're going to be able to go to the Super Bowl, AB, put on our Apple Vision Pro, and you're like in the stadium. 
and they're selling tickets to be in the stadium and you're surrounded and it's going around the crowds around you. Can you envision that? I can. And we're going there. We're going to be there soon, folks. So, I mean, it's this technology that's taking us there. So do you want to be invest in this technology? Absolutely. Apple's had a tough, tough time growing earnings for the last few years. But I do think they're going to go into another earnings growth cycle here. And it's going to be driven by the uh, Apple Vision Pro. I'm just not, don't want to be early here again. It's a little bit like Tesla. Humanoids 2027, you know, everybody, the Vision Pro is a little bit, you know, less expensive and not as bulky. And maybe everybody's interested in it. Get that down to like 1500 bucks, And people are like, yeah, man, this is awesome. So I do think the technology is investable. It's just, you know, the valuations are fully valued here at 29 times earnings for Apple, 55 times earnings for Tesla. But, you know, I, I believe in the technology, though. Yeah, and just some more uh, information. I was talking about the chips, pulled it up real quick. So Apple's been replacing its Intel chips and its computer with its own Apple Silicon chips. Um, but now it's starting to kind of use some of its own chips in its iPhones and mobile uh, electronics as well and is planning to drop Broadcom chips altogether by 2025. So why this is important to me is because, I mean, think about how many iPhones Apple sells in a given year uh, and then now say they're, they're using all their own in-house chips and not outsourcing some of that and say the margins go up just, I don't know, 5 10% on those iPhones with how many they sell. That's a big deal, which is that's just one of those things where people have been talking about for 10 years. Oh, there's no innovation in Apple anymore. There's no new products. It's how many, you know, how many MacBooks or iPhones can they sell? Well, this is what Apple does is, is it is it operates as, you know, a very efficient, the biggest tech company in the world. It makes these small tweaks. Okay, now we're going to make our own chips. Boom. Now you see the margins go up and the growth is there again. So I just wouldn't bet against Apple in the long term. And again, you have this Vision Pro and other things on the hand, on uh, on the horizon. So, uh, you know, again, I, I hear the criticism of Apple that it's a dying company, whatever, all this stuff. But they, they still do these things that as an investor people like and people like to hold the stock so uh all I, right dennis we're, or, and just to clarify like you know the chat saying i i do think that this vision pro this first generation of this is not the the needle mover here it's too bulky so i've said this before it's too bulky and it's too expensive but you know they'll get those costs down and they'll get it less bulky and that's going to be the game changer but the technology is awesome yeah, but and we've seen that with Apple too before that, you know, when the first iPhone came out, it, that wasn't really the one that took over the world, right? It wasn't, you know, it was kind of similar, too bulky, kind of slow, hard to use. And then once they put out like the 3G one or the 3GS, that's when it kind of started to take off. So, all right, uh, Dennis, we are running up on time. Sure. We, we, we will we'll have time tomorrow morning to touch up on a few more of these earnings before they come. Yeah. But again, uh, just to reiterate, a huge week this week in earnings. Thanks. You've got Apple. Uh, Microsoft, Amazon, AMD, you name it, they're reporting this week. So make sure to stay tuned to Benzinga's pre-market prep. We'll be back tomorrow, 8 a.m. to continue this earnings preview as well as bring you your other top headlines. Uh, smash the like if you haven't already. We will have live trading starting up in a few minutes, so do not go anywhere. This stream will redirect you there. Thank you again to Joe Saluzzi from Themis Trading who joined us today. Till tomorrow, stay green, guys. See you then.